I'm Carlton Owen, immediate past president and CEO of the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities and a proud supporter of Keeping Forest. Keeping Forest is the producer of this podcast called How the River Flows. Keeping Forest is built on a powerful and simple idea to ensure that our region's forests have a future. We're working hard to conserve the 245 million acres of existing forests by supporting private landowners, shedding light on why this land matters, and showing what you can do to help. Every episode of How the River Flows will take a close look at the relationship between healthy forests and clean drinking water. Our experts will share their best ideas along with specific examples about conserving local forests to ensure a lasting, clean supply of drinking water to meet local needs. Each time, we'll bring you a new take on how landowners can be compensated for the tremendous environmental value that their working forests provide to everyone. You'll learn how these innovations are financed, managed, and even how your local community can join the effort in protecting our precious southern forests and the many benefits, including clean water, that they provide. So sit back and enjoy this episode of How the River Flows. Thank you for that introduction, Carlton. I'm Holly Welch, the Environmental Program Manager with the South Carolina Forestry Commission. In this episode of How the River Flows, I'll be joined by James Kilgo and Kara Goodwin to discuss some innovative funding options available for source water protection. Source water protection, protecting water at its source and areas connected to the source, such as forests, is a key approach to safe drinking water. Proactively managing these areas through which water travels to our faucets helps to safeguard the water we drink and improve our overall public health. Water utilities are increasingly concerned about the sustainability of their water supply due to the current rate of population growth and the associated conversion of forest land to urban development within source water areas. To help water utilities safeguard our drinking water is one role the United States Environmental Protection Agency plays. Kara Goodwin is on the Source Water Protection Team at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. In this role, she works with regional, state, and local partners to integrate source water protection principles across environmental programs to protect public health and safeguard drinking water for current and future generations. Most recently, she has been working to strengthen the connections between water quality improvement programs and source water protection programs. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Holly. It's really great to be here today. I know EPA has a lot of different um, funding opportunities, but can you tell us a little bit about the Clean Water State Revolving Fund? Sure, Holly. That's a great example of a program that can be used to fund source water protection. The Clean Water State Revolving Fund is a federal-state partnership that provides communities low-cost financing for a wide range of water quality infrastructure or non-point source projects. Um, Traditionally, it has been used to support wastewater infrastructure projects, But recently, more states are considering the non-point source eligibilities available in this program, including land conservation and restoration projects, both which apply to source water protection. For these projects, the Clean Water State Revolving Fund, or we call it the CWSRF, um, may provide assistance through low-cost loans to any public, private, or nonprofit entity. Each state manages their own fund, so the priorities of which projects get funded will vary by state. Another interesting detail is that states have the flexibility to provide additional subsidies, such as principal forgiveness, negative interest, or grants to certain projects. A recent example of how the Clean Water State Revolving Fund has been used to protect drinking water sources um, is in Arizona. Arizona has decided to use their Clean Water SRF program to proactively address wildfire threats 
by protecting high-quality watersheds. The Arizona Water Infrastructure Authority, which manages their Clean Water State Revolving Loan Fund, partnered with the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality to implement a forest thinning project for Flagstaff, Arizona. In December 2019, Flagstaff signed a $6 million loan from the Water Infrastructure Authority, receiving a $1 million principal forgiveness with that loan. All right. And I've heard about some states having a sponsorship program. Can you tell me a little bit about how that works? Sure. Yeah, this is a great opportunity. Um, It is available not in every state, um, but some states have set up a program where the, the entity that is applying to the Clean Water State Revolving Fund program to finance um, a traditional wastewater infrastructure project, volunteers to sponsor a protection or restoration project in exchange for a lower interest rate on the overall loan. In this way, the protection or restoration project is paid through the same revenue source as the traditional infrastructure project. So you're kind of getting two projects for the cost of one. Some states have some legislative or program hurdles to enacting a program like this, but there have been some recent success in getting over those hurdles at the state and local level and providing more flexibility in enacting innovative funding mechanisms to achieve their water quality goals. If you're looking for more information on this, the Ohio and Iowa Clean Water State Revolving Foam programs both have well-established sponsorship programs. All right. And other than the Clean Water State Revolving Fund, what are some other programs that EPA offers? We have a program that's similar to the Clean Water State Revolving Fund on the drinking water side. However, this program is primarily used for um, great infrastructure projects. The part of this program that is most relevant to our discussion today is what we call set-asides. So as part of the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund States have the option to reserve or set aside a portion of the money they receive from EPA for non-infrastructure priorities, such as source water protection. There are several ways this money can be spent. Um, One option is for low-cost loans to utilities for land acquisition or conservation easements. Um, The state of Maine has had a land acquisition loan program through their set-asides for over 20 years. They've provided at least 20 loans in that time period, and drinking water utilities have purchased the rights or purchased over 4,800 acres of land in their source water protection areas during that time. That's a really interesting program. Um, Can you give us any specific examples of how that loan program is being used? Um, Certainly. The Auburn Water Department in Maine uh, received a loan for $570,000 to acquire 434 acres of land in the watershed, which drains directly into Lake Auburn. Lake Auburn is a source for two different drinking water systems. This project involved a collaboration with a local watershed commission and a local land trust who will help manage and monitor the easement. That seems like a really unique approach to using these set-aside funds. Are there other ways these funds can be used as well? Yes, there are. Um, States can use their set-asides to update their source water assessments. They can also use them to implement source water protection activities on the ground. Some states have set up grant programs to support these activities. Each state can decide um, who is eligible for these grants, um, such as local governments or nonprofits. It seems like these two funding sources could work really well together. Is there any examples of that across the country? Yes, Holly, that's a great point and something that we really um, encourage folks to be thinking about as they're 
planning their source water protection programs, how can these different funding sources be used together? So one great example is from Washington State. The Skagit Public Utility District, which is north of Seattle, was interested in acquiring land owned by a private timber company in its source watershed. So through working with the state, they used a grant funded with the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund set-asides through the Washington Department of Health for the appraisal and survey of the property early in the process. Knowing the approximate value and exact portion of the property helped the utility negotiate with the property owner and clearly identify a cost to the ratepayers for the District Board of Commissioners to consider. The Public Utility District purchased the land in 2019 with a $1.53 million Clean Water State Revolving Fund loan through the Washington Department of Ecology. The loan included 25% principal forgiveness, which reduced the amount owed on the loan. The PUD will pay back the loan through the customer revenues and proceeds from selective timber harvests. This collaboration between multiple state agencies and funding sources resulted in a successful priority drinking water project. Those are some really interesting examples, and it's really great to see utilities and, and municipalities working together to use these federal funds that are available for source water protection. So I appreciate those examples. Um, is there anything else you think the listeners should know about these set-aside funds? In 2018, Congress brought in the eligibilities for these set-asides, and since then, many states have been considering new ways to use them. So it was a great time to engage with your states on the opportunities um, provided by this funding option. I also want to bring James Kilgo into the conversation. James is a water protection specialist with the South Carolina Rural Water Association. He has a lot of experience working with various stakeholders, including water utilities and forest landowners on non-point source related projects, including source water protection and watershed-based planning. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Holly. So James, in your experience, which funding sources have been the most successful for source water protection? In South Carolina, we use uh, the drinking water SRF set-aside monies to help utilities plan for and other stakeholders plan for um, setting up things like watershed-based plan and other source water protection goals. Okay, Kara. So is that how that works across all states in the Southeast or is that just unique to South Carolina or a few others? I would say that South Carolina is one of just a few states that use their set-asides like this, that have a dedicated fund from their set-asides for supporting watershed-based plan development. And I think it's a great example of leveraging what sometimes is a small pot of money from the DWSRF set-asides to help utilities and watershed groups and other stakeholders um, access a larger pool of money that is through the 319 grant program. And James, what really is the emphasis of the 319 program? The emphasis of the 319 program is to address impaired water bodies on the 303D list and addressing the sources of those pollutants causing the impairment. And once those are addressed, well, they are addressed through planning and the watershed-based plan is the, the tool that uses a targeted approach at, like I said, identifying and then coming up with strategies that mitigate the impacts from those pollutant sources and using 
local input to help you form that targeted approach is the emphasis of the watershed-based plan program. So 319 is really a non-point source program that looks at all the diffuse uh, sources of pollution that can't be seen from end of pipe and address it through local sources and through funding from the federal government and uh, also supplementing it with local or state funding. And once those strategies are identified, how are they actually implemented on the ground? Well, once the strategies are identified, then you go through um, the process of applying for additional monies, whether it be from the 319 program implementation grant and matched with local uh, sources of money from the counties, from partners that are in the watershed-based planning group. You basically collect a pool of money that goes to the specific best management practices or BMPs that are designed to mitigate the sources of pollution that are causing the impairments. And is there a match required for that funding? Yes, uh, there is a, a certain percentage match, which may vary from state to state. I'm not sure. But in South Carolina, let's say, for example, a homeowner wanted to participate in this planning process, and they did have, let's say, a septic system that was leaking or malfunctioning in some other way and causing direct issues to the water quality, the watershed-based planning group would address that issue uh, by approaching the landowner with the options for repairing or replacing that septic system, and they would be responsible for a, a smaller amount or a match that the federal monies would would also help to supplement and cover the cost associated with repairing or replacing um, that failing septic system. So really, landowners can use this as an opportunity to really do a quasi-home improvement, but it also has a a side impact, a bigger impact on on the water quality um, and the environment around it. So James, are there any specific examples of successful 319 projects that you're familiar with? Yeah, uh, one example comes to mind is one that is occurring just north of where I'm currently putting together a watershed-based plan um, in the Lake Greenwood area. This this area just north of Lake Greenwood um, is known as Ravens Creek. And several years ago, the Upper Savannah Council of Governments, along with other partners like the Clemson Extension Office, Lawrence County Water and Sewer, and the Lawrence Cattlemen Association got together and created and implemented a watershed-based plan uh, for Raven Creek, which is obviously was an impaired water body. Uh, so funding from the 319 implementation grant, along with uh, funding match from partners and the landowners included in this project, uh, they were able to successfully reduce the incoming bacteria into Raven Creek, um, causing that impairment. And so what they did is they implemented an extensive education and outreach campaign that really led to um, a lot of good things like uh, the repair or replacement of septic systems, as well as many agricultural-based management practices. Um, So as a result, these measures uh, directly contributed to delisting uh, the bacterial-based impairments on Raven Creek and achieved the support for the designated recreational uses at Raven Creek. And information regarding other successes like these can be found by searching EPA nonpoint source success stories on their website. What kind of specific things did they do on the ground to to have a successful outcome in this project? 
okay, one of the things that they did was include exclusionary fencing uh, for livestock. They provided uh, watering sources for livestock. So all of those those things are really just driven to keeping livestock out of the local water bodies, um, which were largely contributing to the bacterial problem um, at Raven Creek. So that was one of the specific BMP implementations they used to, again, achieve the delisting and the designated uses intended for Raven Creek. Kara, is there anything else you want to add to what James has said about 319 funds? I think the only thing I would add is that each state has a non-point source management plan and 319 funds um, support activities that are listed in those plans. So in order for your activities to be included in the 319 program, you need to make sure that they are involved in that, that state non-point source management plan. So we've covered a lot of funding options already. Are there any more that you think is important for listeners to hear about today? Yeah, Holly, I would also like to mention some opportunities through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Their Natural Resources Conservation Service program has a lot of opportunities available for landowners, um, agricultural producers, um, especially over the last few years. Um, The 2018 Farm Bill provided guaranteed funding for source water protection projects. In other words, the 2018 Farm Bill required that 10% of certain conservation program funds be spent on source water protection projects. It also required that the Natural Resources Conservation Service um, consult with drinking water utilities to identify priority source water protection areas. So most of these NRCS program funds go directly to landowners to help them implement conservation practices on their lands. Utilities can get involved through partnership programs, such as the Regional Conservation Partnership Program. I believe you're going to have specific episodes on those. There are a few utilities in Arkansas that have taken advantage of that program. Utilities can also talk with their district conservationists about the possibility of their watershed being included in the National Water Quality Initiative Source Water Protection Program. So we've covered a lot of different funding programs, and it seems like each one is run by a different um, a different organization. And I assume a lot of these utilities aren't going to have the staff or the capacity to administer or even apply for these programs. Is there outside organizations that can help them out, or who should they contact if they want to get started with some of these um, funding opportunities? Yeah, so you are you're correct uh, to say that utilities, for the most part, do not have the capacity to uh, see these ki- this kind of planning and, and administration of funding through. So there are several options. In my experience, I've seen uh, local environmental consultant groups or local nonprofit environmental-based groups really take the lead uh, for some of this grant application and grant proposal work because they really are the ones that have the staff and capability and expertise to put together a really good plan and can administer the funding appropriately. So they really are the ones that have the built-in components of of putting together successful plans um, and administering them. I would also suggest that folks reach out to their state source water coordinator. These folks can help identify technical assistance resources and may have great advice on how to move forward with these various funding options. And how do they get in touch with their state source water protection coordinators? I'd say look them up online. 
If they reach out to their rural water association, is that something they can point them to as well? Yes, they can reach out to any state source uh, rural water association, and those folks will be happy to point them to the right person within their state primacy agency that does source water protection. With all these different funding options, are there any success criteria that you all have seen over the years that really set apart successful projects from ones that don't get as much traction? Yeah, there are several, um, and I can mention a few now. Um, So some of the key components include identifying and partnering with local quote-unquote champions or advocates uh, for this work, uh, presenting a solid business case to the stakeholder if necessary, and certainly effective messaging and outreach. So instead of having a broad kind of message to a community, make it specific and targeted to the, on a case-by-case basis to that community. And also clearly defining partner responsibilities as you develop these, these plans and projects. Um, having very specific partners do specific things that kind of cater to what their specialty is and what their competency is. Um, and then creating strategies that effectively monitor success factors. Um, so being able to basically tell the story of, of when things are implemented what success was reached and how was it reached and how you measure that. Lastly, having the flexibility and creativity to get the deliverables accomplished. So we're really being kind of nimble with some of this material to where you can pivot if necessary to address issues. Because as we all know, the environment is a very complex thing. So being flexible is certainly a key component there too. Well, I really appreciate both of your insights on this topic. I think there's a lot of really useful information um, that we've covered. Is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion, just as kind of a takeaway message for anybody listening today? So my parting thoughts today have to do with the importance of partnerships and the importance of thinking ahead. Source water protection, as we mentioned, does not have a single dedicated funding source. So we really rely on developing partnerships and connections across agencies and across programs to identify funding sources that can help achieve the goals of an effective source water protection plan. And along with that, thinking towards the future and recognizing that a small investment can help you leverage larger funding sources in the future. So as the example that James gave in South Carolina demonstrates, investing in developing a watershed-based plan can help leverage 319 funding in the future. So while the funding that's available from, say, the drinking water state revolving fund set-asides may seem like a small amount, that money can really go far. Thank you, Holly, for having me. Uh, And Kara, it was nice to hear uh, from you and all the great programs offered um, through federal agencies. And I just would, my parting thoughts would be that working with the local stakeholders, um, you know, providing to them these opportunities and conveying to them in layman's terms kind of where these opportunities exist for them and how they can help improve not only drinking water, um, but all of the natural resources um, in their communities offers them great opportunities to be participatory and to really target the issues that are at hand that are affecting water quality and the other natural resources. So yeah, these programs really offer that great opportunity um, to not only be targeted, but to have the local communities 
have say-so and input in how they shape improving these natural resources. Well, thank you so much, Kara and James, for coming in today and sharing your knowledge um, on all these different funding opportunities that are available for water utilities and others uh, for source water protection. And I know that the funds that we covered here today are just a small portion of all the available funds that are out there. So we will include a link in the show notes that will take you to a funding fact sheet um, that'll list out a lot of other opportunities that are out there as well. So I'd encourage you all to, to check out that link as well. Um, we really hope that listening today gave you some good information to hopefully help move source water protection efforts forward in your watershed. And again, I'm Holly Welch, the Environmental Program Manager with the South Carolina Forestry Commission for Keeping Forests. Keeping Forests is a diverse coalition conserving the natural, economic, and cultural value of Southern forests. The music in this podcast is by Chuck Lavelle. I want to thank everyone for tuning into How the River Flows. Join us next time as we explore the connections between healthy forests and clean water and see how others have built a partnership that benefits all. You can listen to How the River Flows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Carlton Owen.